0: God bless you happy new year i 'm really glad to be back with you and um, i 've been really eager to share this with you for the last three weeks i 've been carrying something and this is a prophecy this this word today I, I obviously you know if you speak to a a, a group of people of any size. For some, it's going to be, yeah, that, that is spot on. That is the word of the Lord for me. For others, it's going to be something. Just take it and tuck it away for a day in the near future. But however it hits you today, I'd share this with the elders. And I was preparing for our elders meeting back in December and just really feeling, uh, many of you know, I, I just had, um, I would describe last November up until a few weeks ago, really, as the hardest year I've ever had. Uh, For a variety of reasons, it's just been a really, really hard year, of you know, just constant, just fighting to stay um, with the Lord in the Spirit, to remain healthy and whole in Christ, to just you know not let go. You ever have those seasons where you're like, all right, this is me hanging on and not letting go. The ship is about to wreck. I mean, there's no shipwreck coming. I'm just there's a metaphor. Okay, I'm just this is not prophesying right now. And, and you're just hanging on for dear life. It's like that shipwreck that Paul had in Acts 27, and it said everybody just grabbed onto whatever they could hold onto until they went into shore where their next destiny awaited. And it it's just felt like that. So I was preparing for the last elders meeting of the year. I said, Lord, I want I a I word. I feel like everyone, just there's like this universal blanket of weariness. And I've asked, and most every one of you that I've talked to has said, yeah, that has exactly the right word to describe it, weariness. And that's why, you know, the scripture exhorts us, do not grow weary in well-doing, because we're prone to grow weary in well-doing. Now, you're not worn out because you've gone down some bad track. Maybe you are, and you're like the prodigal, and you're feeding pigs, and it stinks. And that's great, man. It's an easy thing. You got the easy job. Just repent and go back home. I mean, it's just that simple but for for those uh, I think I'm speaking to of those you've been faithful to the Lord you've been pressing in you've been you've been praying you've been ministering you've stayed true you've done the long slow drive in a steady direction even when God didn't give you something new and you were kind of hoping that things would change by now but they didn't but you're staying faithful you're staying true you're on course you know what the Lord said and you're not you're gonna outstubborn the weariness and the devil who's trying to to put that before you and that that's who I'm talking to today and, and there was just this blanket of weariness so I went to the Lord I said God I need a word and and the Lord gave it to me and it was really more as for me as much as anybody and so I've come re, I've come alive again and in, in, ter- in terms of having this hope-filled outlook on what's ahead because that's what weariness does, right? That's what grieving in the soul does, weariness of heart. What it does is it robs us of hope. It robs us of the most precious thing, really, that we have. Because this one thing, remember, when? think of seasons in your life, maybe in your childhood, unless you had a really terrible childhood, where you woke up and you couldn't wait for the day. Summer vacation, first day. That's a good one. First day of summer vacation. You got nothing to do but whatever you want to. And and you just wake up with a spring in your step, and you can't wait to get out of bed in the morning. Maybe some of you experienced that Christmas morning. That was yours. 4 a.m. As soon as Santa Mom and Dad stop putting the gifts under the tree. Boo, you're up out of bed. And that was me every Christmas morning. But you, you wake up with this spring in your step. How many of you know that is the norm for life? That's what life is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be drudgery. It's not supposed to be this feeling of, oh man, I gotta live another day. That's not what God created us for. That's not the kingdom of heaven. That's uh, surely our God didn't say, I going to watch a bunch of billions of people suffer. This'll be fun. His his desire is that heaven's atmosphere will be the atmosphere of earth again. There's exceeding great abundant fullness of joy. It says at his right hand, pleasures forevermore. That's heaven, and that's what he is. He's 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 really eager. I'm trying to say for us to experience that we would be that way. And so I want to I want to encourage you with this word that the Lord dropped in me uh, on that day that. Contrary to what our body might be telling us, contrary to what our heart and our soul might even be trying to tell us, it's time you took your mountain. This is not the time to say I've been fighting so long and I've been faithful for so long and I'm just worn out. Somebody else is going to have to take uh, take that mountain. It's time you took your mountain. So now I've only got three of you so far. The length of this message is totally dependent on the response. Because I must stay here until I know. i got my father-in-law, amen, and now. And here's the reason why, as I'll share when we get in. Turn to, um, where are we going? Joshua, turn to Joshua chapter 14, by the way, and I'll join you there right? 14? Is that where I want to start? Yeah, chapter 14. And I'll join you there in just a uh, few minutes. But there's, um, there's a need in the earth for the church to occupy its territory. If the church does not occupy the territory to which God's assigned it, what will fill the vacuum in its place? Every evil thing that we see out there right now Nature abhors a vacuum, some scientists said. Wherever it's dark, wherever there is no light, it's dark. Wherever there's no heat, it's cold. That's the natural state of affairs. And so we're to be the light of the world, and we're to be in certain places, and if we don't occupy that place, it remains dark, and how great its darkness is when there once was light, and now it's dark again. And I believe we're living in a day, and I believe this year is a time were many of you, many of us, who have been faithful, who've been plodding along, sometimes in leaps and bounds, sometimes drudging along, sometimes sliding backwards a little bit, but outstubbering that backsliding and getting back up and heading back toward the Lord and the destiny in Christ that we have. Do you know that before God even said, let there be light, there were a lot of things that happened. We were in Christ at that time, but he also made good works for us. He foreordained good works where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he foreordained before the foundations of the earth. Meaning there were things that we were born to walk into that God wove into creation before there was a creation. He had in mind you and me before we were even uh, incarnated, before we became a living thing. God already had something in mind, and it's great and glorious to step into it and to do what we were born to do. Everything short of that, there's a life of depression and anxiety and this feeling and you know I'm old enough now to know what it feels like a little bit thankfully I found my career at a young age and I love what I do and I will never want to do anything else with my life even when those days come When it's tempting to say, you know what, maybe I'll just go back and drive the bus again. That was simple. Even with 50 inner city kids behind me, that was easier than some days. But there's nothing I would rather do than shepherd and teach and preach with God's people. I'm I'm glad that I found it, but I've experienced enough of what that midlife crisis feeling is. That moment when everything kind of crashes in, and you know, you're starting to count the clock a little bit. Your body's reminding you that you're getting older, your joints are bothering you, you can't stay up past midnight very easily anymore, and and all those things start to come in. You start to look, and and that's why uh, Solomon wrote in the Proverbs, ponder the path of your feet that your way might be established. Begin to ponder your path of your feet a little bit more, it's all right. Now I think, you know, when you're 20 years old, you got forever of a life in front of you, right? There's, there's nothing in your way. If I make a mistake and I waste 10 years of my life, hey, that was just one decade. I got like five, six more. You start getting up in your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, and you're starting to think, well, I, I can count in years now, not decades, how many more years I've got. And I wonder if I've done what I was born to do. I wonder if this career, this life that I live, this, these hobbies, these things that I do with my time, if that's what I was made to do. And if we haven't yet found it, the midlife crisis comes in and we do some crazy things like buy a sports car or, you know, do we do crazy things and that. Something to make us feel young again, as if we could stay off the aging process by doing something we would have done when we were 20. But when we get this sense, It it comes from a deep place, and it's a good thing. Remember, I shared with you a few weeks ago how sometimes that feeling of shame can be a good thing. Not to stay under it, but to provoke us, to, to remind us that, hey, you're not living according to what's inside of you. That's what shame's about. This is not you. You're doing and living in such a way that's untrue to your true nature. We have a divine nature on the inside of us. We have Christ in us. We were made by him and then he filled us with himself. And so we will never be able to rest, truly rest, until we've stepped into that which we were created by God to do. That's a horrible feeling to live with. But what an awesome feeling when we finally say, okay, enough's enough. I'm going to take that mountain right now. That mountain represents, and I'm going to talk about Caleb, of course, who's the only one in the Bible everybody knows took a mountain. It's actually a bunch of mountains, by the way, as you'll see. He looked at 85 years old. Having a life of all kinds of, I mean, he started a slave. He wandered 40 years in the wilderness. He ended his life as a warrior. And after all the battle was won, he said, I'm not done yet. I want that mountain right there. That's my destiny. I've known it since the days I walked this land as a spy. That that belongs to me. And I'm not going to be able to rest. I will not say I'm finished until I occupy that territory because that got apportioned to me. And if you don't know what that means for your life, today's not, today's not the message I'm going to be digging in a whole lot on what that means. But it means everything from family to career to how we spend our free time, our ministry, our evangelism, our, our ministry of loving those that are around us. All of those things are our mountain. And they represent in our lives a place that we must occupy, which means a place where we're busy, a place where we have something to do. That's why we call it an occupation. It's not just to bide the time, you know, playing Xbox or something like that. It means I'm busy doing something that makes me come alive. When I'm doing this thing, how many of you have found some, this is by a show of hands, by the way. How many of you found something in your life, at least, that when you do it, it's effortless? It's as effortless as breathing. You could do it all day long. And only maybe when your body finally catches up with you and says, hey, you shouldn't, I- I'm tired now. Do you realize, oh, I've been going 16 hours straight and I didn't eat because I'm so enthralled with what I'm doing. That's living. That's your mountain. That's what it means. If you don't occupy that place that God gave for you to occupy, it means that the enemy now will come in and he'll occupy that place. We, we have a teaching that's gone around for many years, a couple of prophets at the same time, got the same picture from the Lord, about seven mountains, there are probably more or less than that, I don't know, but places of influence in the culture. And if Christians don't occupy those places, then the enemy comes in with his philosophies. Look no further than the government. And what that looks like right now, look no further than the education system. And what that looks like right now, you could go all around the media. That's one of them. Look at what's happening in there right now. Those are areas that individual Christians, hundreds, thousands, millions strong, belonged in. We belonged in those places to bring the kingdom influence that we carry into those places. And instead, because of withdrawing from those areas, look at what filled the gap. This is me urging you today, take your mountain. We're all depending on you. So here's Caleb. Um, Joshua 14, I'll start in verse 6. Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Zephaniah, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. Now let me just stop right there for a moment to make a couple points. Gilgal is the first piece of land that the Israelites crossed over the Jordan into when they stepped actually finally on the actual soil of the promised land. They crossed the river on dry ground. God held the water back. They went on the other side. They made an altar of stones. And it was in that place that all of the fighting men of Israel consecrated themselves to the Lord and were circumcised. It, was the, it represents the place of covenant. This is the place where we began with God. This is the place where we said, we belong to you and we willing to bear on our body the marks to prove it. This is the place where, where all of Israel said, here we are in the promised land. Thank you. We're yours. We're yours, we are yours to do as you please. That's what Gilgal represents. He rolls away the reproach of Egypt. How Gilgal got its name it means rolled, rolling. He rolled away the reproach, meaning this is the place where all the, all the stink of slavery, all of the years in the wilderness because of having a slave mindset on the way to the Promised Land, all of that, God said, I'm rolling all that back now. Don't even look at it again that's what Gilgal represents so they came to this place we're ready to make all things new this is the place of we're start it's a reset button that's what communion is by the way I don't think I mentioned that before but when we break bread with the Lord and he said do this in remembrance of me it's a holy reset button in our lives that's the moment where we say you know I remember that everything I'm struggling with has already been crucified in Christ Everything that I've got going on, every internal struggle, every external struggle, he's already paid a price for it. Isaiah 53 promised all of it on that cross. And communion is that place where we remember, oh yeah, you said it is finished. You said all of these things about me from that moment. And it is important because we are forgetful people. Not just me and my ADD self, we are forgetful people. We forget how good he's been because we it's easier to keep track of all the wrong things than to remember all the good things, isn't it? I mean even if your love language, you know, they have the love languages, even if your love language isn't words of affirmation, it still takes five to ten positive things to overcome one criticism that works for everybody all supervisors should know that, that that when you say something especially if it cuts deep that's going to take about five to ten affirming things to overcome that one negative thing we're just prone to it we look for it um, and so When Gilgal represents that place where now we're saying that's all rolled away because I have something in front of me now of territory that I've got to take and I can't do it carrying the weight of all this stuff from behind. So if you didn't get to do that while you were breaking bread earlier, I think we still have more communion. You can't do it. There's not like a limit one per day. (laughs) Free refills for life is what we get in Christ on all things. So do it before you go. Say, all right, Jesus, I didn't get that. The way he just said it, I didn't do that. So let's do that. Because I don't want to be carrying any of that junk into the new year and into the destiny you have in front of me. Now, he said the word of the Lord concerning you and me. So remember, Joshua, you and me. We stood alone in that day at Kadesh Barnea. I'll explain that in a minute. I was 40 years old when the Lord sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land and brought word back to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I followed the Lord my God fully. So just to catch you up on the story in case you're unfamiliar with it, Kadesh Barnea was the place where after two years in the wilderness, they had to go through a wilderness on the way out of Egypt. What God said to Pharaoh was, let my people go so they could suffer in the wilderness for 40 years. He said, no, let my people go that they might hold a festival to me in the wilderness. God's intention was, you've been slaves, you don't even know my name. I I told Moses my name, you don't even know my name anymore. So you're gonna spend a a while with me in the wilderness. He had a mountain where he'd meet with them. He was gonna show them all of his ways. Here I am, this is what I'm like. I want you and me just alone. It's like a honeymoon. Just you and me, Ignatian, my my chosen ones. Just my bride, my son. This is just us now. And I want you to get to know me because the land that you're going into, it's a scary place. It's beautiful. It's like the Garden of Eden when it's cultivated properly, but it's, it's scary. There's some descendants of giants there and, and the land consumes its inhabitants. There's lions by the river and oh my, and you know, all this, and, and it's a scary place. So I want you to get to know me before you go in. And that's why they had the law. That's why there was Mount Sinai and all of what happened at that place. So two years later, they have the tabernacle built so God could dwell in the midst of his people. And they're walking toward the promised land from the south, straight up in. And they're about to enter the promised land through the south. And God told Moses, send some spies into the land, one from each tribe. One leader among each tribe to go and spy out the land. Why leaders? Because they'll be men of influence. They'll come back and they'll encourage the people, hey, we saw it, it's flowing with milk and honey. The promise of God is everything God said, and then some, that was the intention. Only as the scripture lets us know, God tested them in that moment. What was the test? The test wasn't anything other than, will you trust me? Will you walk by faith and not by sight? Because you're gonna see my promises, You're going to see, they're going to carry grapes back from this. The 12 spies will carry grapes. Took two men to carry a bunch of them between them on their shoulders. And they described this beautiful land where their ancestors lived. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The land promised to their forefathers. It was all just as beautiful. But, there's always a but involved. I hate that but. There's this but because they're giants, the first place that they went to, they walk through the land that Caleb will ask for shortly, and there's giants living in that place. All the ancestors of Goliath himself lived in this place, and they're all big and ugly and, you know, mean giant, because that's what giants say, right? That's how they talk in all the movies. They're just big and ugly and scary. They're warriors. They have fortified cities, and the land is just, it's unkempt. You know, they're, they're cities, and then there's wilderness where the beasts live, and who knows what they saw on the way. So Joshua when and Caleb came back, they said, Hey, we're well able to take the land. The rest of the ten spies put fear in the hearts of all the people. Guess who it was who quieted all the people down? It wasn't Moses, although he was the leader of God's people, and he could have been the one in that moment to say, hey, Everybody, be quiet for a second. Because we heard the report, but whose report will you believe? It wasn't Joshua, although he was Moses' right-hand man. Moses hand-picked Joshua to be one of the spies. It was Caleb from the tribe of Judah who spoke up, and he quieted all the people. He said, we are more than able to take this territory. Haven't you seen the way God's come through and all the battles we've had so far? Don't you remember? Dude, we were there when he parted the Red Sea. Everyone alive saw it happen. Every one of you experienced 10 plagues, and none of them touched us, and we went out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. We sang the song of Moses, then the song of Miriam. Don't you remember? It's only been two years. You got a shorter memory than voters in America do for crying out loud. (laughs) That one came out of nowhere. How do you not know this? So he was ready. And like he said, you remember the brethren, the other 10 that went with us, Josh? They all melted with fear, but I followed the Lord my God fully. And that was accurate that was his testimony this was a man who was ready to go and take the land he was ready to go and fight those giants because god was with them so he goes on and he tells josh so moses swore on that day saying surely the land on which your foot is trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever because you have followed the lord my god fully the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever so just put yourself in caleb's shoes for a moment he walked with the other spies how they made it through the land of the giants They made it through. This is high country, by the way, where he's going to ask for around Hebron, 3,000, 4,000 foot peaks in this area, high mountains, and they're going through to spy out the land. And something, when he walked through that section of territory, something leaped in his heart. Because Caleb walked the entirety of the promised land with those spies. They were at Jericho. They went all the way up to the north with the Sea of Galilee. They were all over the promised land. So it wasn't like that God said to him, everywhere that you walked is going to be yours. You know how We've got to be careful with the promises of God. And we'll pray and sometimes we'll say to somebody everywhere, the sole of your feet treads, you'll, you'll take for the kingdom. And, and that's not always the case. Because sometimes it belongs to someone else, Right? None of yous can step up 542 Ray Street and walk through my backyard and say, everywhere the sole of my feet treads is mine. <laughs> You'll face New York, Steve, if you try, That's my house. <laughs> God gave that to me, to my family. We live there. You can't just walk on us. Anyway, the promises of God are like that. You gotta be careful that we're actually speaking by the word of the Lord. That, yeah, but, but how did Joshua, how did Caleb know? Probably when he walked through, something leaped in his spirit. He said, oh, this is mine. I want to live here when we have the promised land when we get to actually take this place I have a sense of destiny in this place as I'm walking through it have you ever felt that saint of God have you ever gone gone someplace talked to somebody been in a situation and something on the inside just comes alive in you and you can't explain it maybe you don't understand why it happened to me the first time I drove over Peters Mountain my wife and I were taking our kids up to camp um, what's his name her hebron i'm preaching about hebron i can't remember the name of the camp camp hebron over here in and we got up to that you know that curve at the top of peter's mountain breathtaking view pulled over and looked at it and oh something just came alive in me and uh, i thought maybe i'm just taken with the view it's so beautiful it was a beautiful sunny day as i recall it was just a really gorgeous uh, and i remember i said to my wife oh, they need jesus up here too right because I never lived in a rural place before, or pastored in a rural place. I thought that would be fun. <laughs> so, But something came alive. Something leaped in my heart. I came up here one time when Mike was your children's pastor. Mike, um... Wary. See, when five of you said it at once, I heard, rah, rah. <laughs> Mike Wary, thank you. Mike Wary was a children's pastor, and he hosted a conference, training conference up here. So I brought my team up, and we did some things together in children's ministry, and I remember coming in the building. And I felt something for the place. Now, that died out over the years with all the conflict and the things that went on. But there's a sense of when you walk in territory that belongs to you, something comes alive in you. Don't ignore that feeling. Don't dismiss it don't 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 act like it didn't happen that could be like a burning bush moment you think about Moses when he turned aside there's a burning bush up on the hill he's out in the wilderness tending sheep and there's a burning bush he's got a moment now now he could have just said wow that's weird and then just walked on which is what many of us would have done that's really strange well it's creepy I'm not going anywhere near that thing Moses turned aside he went up and his entire destiny came into focus in that moment. Don't ignore that feeling. In fact, write it down. And if it comes back again, when you go back to that place or you're back with that person or back in that situation, whatever it is, take note. And if there's something and you just can't get away from it, then begin to seek the Lord. Begin to ask Him. Inquire of the Lord. Pull out your prophetic words. Seek the Lord and ask, is this something you're giving me for territory? Because if it is, and you don't occupy it, Someone else will. Someone else will. There might be giants that are looking. So what happened um, after the spies came back, I want to read you this. After the spies came back, they gave the bad report. God said, that's it. I'm going to wipe them all out. I'm sick of these people already. Two years in, he's like, that's it. Moses, I'll just start over with you. Moses interceded. And he said, God, what will everybody say? You know, everybody's watching now. You took us out of Egypt. The whole world knows what you just did. God said, all right, I won't wipe them all out. I'm going to get some of them. <laughs> Only all 10 of the spies that gave the bad report they died soon after. But, but he said this um, to Moses. The Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. Well done, Moses, the intercessor. You just saved the lives of an entire nation by instead of joining in God's frustration because if you ever felt frustration if you want to get something done And the people around you or whatever they got a bad attitude or they just don't want to do it and and now you're stuck with them Moses was stuck with them and he knew he was stuck with them So if, I mean, I don't know I'll be honest many of us in moments like that might have said all right God. That's not a bad idea Wipe them all out. Let's start over because I, I, I can't handle this either and it's only been two years to drive me crazy I go up on the mountain I talk to you I come down with commandments they're worshiping a golden calf for crying out loud <laughs> <laughs> we just saw you you're God and then we go make a calf with the gold that we brought out to make a tabernacle and Aaron who's going to be the high you just God just told Moses Aaron's going to be the high priest he comes down and there's Aaron making the calf and leading them all in worship I mean, I can understand a little bit why God said, all right, I'm done. And why Moses might have said, yeah, me too. In fact, as you read their exodus, it's really funny. It's like, you know, like a mom and dad in the front seat of the car when when the kids are acting up in the back. And sometimes the mom will go, your son is, you know, acting up again. And Moses is like, I didn't birth all these people. And then the next one, the father, your daughter is doing, you know, and it's like that a little bit with Moses and God. But God said, I'm pardoning them. But this is a serious moment because I gave them freedom so they could occupy a land that I have consecrated for my people since the patriarchs will walk in this land. And now after 400 years in slavery, this generation is gonna say, nah, no, we're not going in. We're too scared, we don't trust you. Even after all you've done, we don't trust you enough to go in and occupy this land that we said we were dying to get into for all of these years. So God said, I've pardoned them according to your word. And here's where you find out the magnitude of why moments like this and occupying our territory is so important. This is where the promise comes, as you've heard from this pulpit many times. Indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the lord all the earth is going to be filled with the glory of the lord why was it so important that this nation maybe a million strong at the time goes in and occupies this little uh, country this this little bit of geography because god had a plan for the entirety of earth to be filled with the glory of the Lord. And it was dependent in that generation on their faithfulness to that promise. Ultimately, was God going to have his way? Of course he is. That promise is still good. Has it happened yet? No, this was 3,500 years ago that God said these words. But that generation said no. And they miss their opportunity to be the next step of God's good work that he had. I will have the kingdom of heaven imparted to the earth. I will have a people that provide a place for me to dwell in the midst of the earth. And the glory of the Lord is going to cover this place. Saint of God, whatever it is you're doing with your life, do it for the glory of the Lord. Because that's the entire purpose of all things. That God will be glorified in it. If I told you the story of the bricklayer, All of you who are members of the church, you heard this story, so you remember it, right? It goes like this. I'm getting blank looks from too many. An old man walked up on a construction site and they were building with bricks and he came to the first bricklayer and he asked them, as he was hunched over doing his work, he said, sir, can you tell me what it is that you're doing here? And the the bricklayer looks up at him and he goes, what does it look like, I'm laying bricks, leave me alone, I got a quota goes back to work oh man he Goes okay goes on to the next guy and he says sir can you tell me what it is that you're you're doing over here and the guy a little bit more polite he goes oh you know i don't know we're building a wall or something like that and you know i got a window over here i got to work around the window i don't know why bricklayers always talk like new yorkers but that's how <laughs> have him in my mind so he goes "Oh, okay and then he goes on <laughs> I'm allowed I'm allowed he goes over to the next one and he says sir can you tell me what it is that you're doing here and that that bricklayer stood up on his feet looked the old man in the eye he said I'm building a cathedral to the glory of my God which one of those three is bouncing out of bed in the morning to go to work which one of those three doesn't need to be told hey you got to be on time that one needs to be told, hey, it's time for you to go home now. There'll be more work tomorrow. See, that's when, when we found, that's our mountain. That's our destiny. When we found that thing that we know, I might be doing something that is small in the eyes of the six billion or seven, however many we're up to on the planet right now. But in heaven's eyes, I am part of something that's going to mean the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord will be filled around the earth. It's going to be completely covered in it. And I'm part of that work. Whether anybody ever knows my name, anybody ever sees what I do, I'm part of that. And that puts a spring in our step. And it reminds us of the importance, reminds us of the importance of occupying our territory. For Israel's sake, I mean, I grieve over my people. I'm half Jew. I got that ancestry test back and it came back 51% Jew. That's really weird. Why, you know, it bother me. Why is it 50%? It's my father and his family, there's no Jew on my mother's side at all. Why is it 51 Anyway, that, it bothers me for my people because you look back and this is where the regret And Paul made mention of it several times. He looks back at Israel. He says, oh, the potential, what we could have enjoyed in this promised land, what we could have been. We could have been a light to the nations, literally, where nations from all around the world would come. For a brief little window, they got it with David and Solomon, and then when the temple was built, they got just a little window. This is what it could be like. You're so prosperous, the whole world comes and sees and says, tell us about your God. That was God's plan and His intention, but they were never faithful to it for more than a generation or two here and there. And so they missed their opportunities. And God said to this generation, who said, No, we're not going in, He said, Well, you might not. And now you're going to wander for 40 years. But my plan is going to happen. And I will find a faithful generation. And I'll find a faithful one and a faithful people. And it will come to pass just that you're not going to get to enjoy it. Now you're going to be stuck in the wilderness 40 years eating manna and quail. And with Moses, and he's really cranky now. Because <laughs> he's already 80 years old at this point, you know. He's like, dude, I've been already wandering in a wilderness for 40 years. You mean I gotta do it again? And so it was with Joshua and Caleb. They both then were now stuck. So he goes to God says, but my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. So occupying our spiritual territory, what it looks like in the world, is that we do our part to manifest the kingdom of heaven everywhere we're given as a place by God, as a stewardship. We are stewards of the territory of our lives. And whatever it is that God's given us to care for, that's our stewardship. And it's important that we do it because if we don't, others will come in. Now let me set you all free of a couple of things here. This generation of Joshua, Joshua and Caleb were faithful. Just one generation later, they're worshiping idols, all of them, all over Egypt. Now we got the book of Judges. And it said, hero saves the day. Oh, they're sinning again. Oh, he saves the day. Oh, they're sinning again. Oh, it's it's this up and down, back and forth, you know, cycle of life kind of thing. Um, But the point is that they were faithful to take that territory in their day. If we neglect our portion of the land, it becomes a stronghold for darkness and the whole land suffers. So let's go back and see Joshua's request now. Verse 10. Now behold... The Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke the word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am 85 years old today. Now, if you were Joshua and you were Caleb, this is Caleb speaking right now, and you just spent 40 years in the wilderness because all your friends and all of their family said, no, we're not going in. Maybe a little bitter. I'd I'd be struggling with bitterness I don't know I wanted to go I was ready man just I'll go take him single-handed was the kind of spirit Caleb had on him but now he's stuck with these people these unfaithful ones who were too afraid to go in so instead they're fighting enemies in the wilderness which they did instead of fighting the enemies occupying the land that belonged to them they didn't get away from the fight that's an amazing thing isn't it about avoiding the will of God we think the will of God, that thing that God wants me to do, that thing that I know I should be doing, it just seems so hard, I don't feel qualified, I really just don't feel like I can do this thing, but then doing the thing that we're not called to do ends up being hard, it ends up being drudgery, and, and more than that, our soul ends up in this bottom pit place, because we're not doing what we were born to do. So. So Caleb's like that for 40 years. Somehow he kept his heart clean in that 40 years. He said, well, I'm still going to, God promised me. God made a promise to me. How many of you have been holding on to a promise of God for something in your life and the years have now turned into decades? i got good news for you today. You're not going to have to wait till you're 85. Maybe you will. I shouldn't have said that so flippantly. <laughs> I've got good news for you. Even if you have to wait till you're 85. Let's reword that one. God is faithful, and he didn't forget what he promised. He doesn't forget like we forget. It's just that sometimes our destiny is tied to forces beyond our control. In his case, all of Israel. He's gotta wait them out till they all die. All the ones who said no, he's gotta wait till they die. I don't know if he I don't know if he grieved at funerals or not. He's like, oh man, one more. I think we only got a thousand to go, and then we could go. I don't know if he was counting like that or not. But he had to live. His destiny was now tied because of fellowship and community. His destiny was tied. or at least the timing of it was tied into this unfaithful group. God bless you if you have been faithful to do what you know you're supposed to do and the delay has come to the answer to your promise because of the decisions of others around you because of the unfaithfulness of others to occupy their territory, because others have said, whatever, I'm going off in rebellion, or I'm going off in apathy, or I'm not gonna step into my thing. God bless you for your faithfulness to stay true and stay on course to what you know God has promised. And there's Caleb, 40 years. Then they get into the promised land, and he spends five years. This is how they took the promised land. All the tribes worked together each to conquer their own territory that already had it apportioned out Moses had a map drawn where everybody would live all the tribes at least would live and and as soon as they took all the land everybody could go home now and settle and occupy the territory that they took so for 5 years Caleb fought Jericho AI all the all the places Achan, you know had his issues and and he did all these things He helped all the other tribes Take their territory and now they're ready to gather at Gilgal and they're ready to all go and make home make a house We're done wandering and we're done fighting at least for now And we're gonna all go home and make a nice place for ourselves I'm gonna go build my log cabin on the mountain and retire but Caleb Was a man of a different spirit. And he said, he goes on, he says, Look, I'm still as strong as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. I want to be a mensch like that when I'm 85. That's why I'm trying to get back in shape. I'm like, oh man, I don't feel ready for that at 85 if I feel like this now. But he said, no, you don't have to, it's not about being physically fit. It's, this is about us remaining spiritually strong. That when we're 85, when we're 95, when we're 105, our spirit, uh, the outward man is perishing But if the inward man, inner man is being renewed day by day, then we're as strong at 85 as we were when we were 30. And we're as strong at 100 in our spirit as we were. Doc Wilson, you all got to meet, so many of you got to meet Doc Wilson, just died last year. What a loss of all the losses of 2022. It's got to be one of the greatest losses to the kingdom of heaven. Just turned 90. What a man of God. He used to tell, um, you know, he had a man that, would, and once he got into his 80s and he slowed down, only going to I don't know 100 nations a year in his itinerant ministry. He would always have a young man with him, and he and have I don't know if I still don't know if he was joking or not, but he would always tell them. I have a few messages that I preach always when I go someplace new. They're foundational and they're things to help them come into the prophetic you know, ministry. And uh, if I ever die in the middle of preaching, move my body aside and finish the message. It's more important than my burial. <laughs> I'm going to be raised from the dead wherever my body ends up. But the word of the Lord must go forth. That's why I still do this. And he did that in his 70s, his 80s. (laughs) He was just like that. He never lost his strength. He kept what he was called to do until his dying day. And he was still teaching and preaching at his home church in upstate New York. He lived in that crazy snow. Like that's where he's at. And he's out there shoveling his own snow at 90 years old. That's Doc Wilson. And that's you and that's me when we keep our inner man strong that our outward body may not be capable of what what Caleb could do. He was a warrior all his life. He was just muscle on muscle for his whole life. What are you strong at? What's the thing that you do? Stay strong in it and keep your inner man strong enough so that when you're 85, when we're 85, we could say, I'm still ready to take a mountain because here's what must have happened. It says earlier in Joshua that they had taken the land of Hebron, the hill country in the southern end of Judah, uh, the the land of portion of Judah and, um, and and they drove out the Giants who lived in that land under Joshua but apparently they came back and th- this is something that all military strategists know that you can't overextend yourself you've got to be able to occupy whatever territory you take Alexander the Great made this tragic mistake well I think it was good I, I don't really like the guy but anyway he stretched his empire out too far and too thin and he couldn't hold the ground So his generals who followed after him couldn't hold all that territory. They never occupied the territory. So while Joshua and probably, there's Caleb going, this is my mountain. We're going to drive out these Anakians, Anakites, Anakim. I don't know. These are descendants of Anak. They were the giants. We're going to drive them out. But he had to come back and do it all over again because they left and they didn't occupy. Now he's saying now. Give me that hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. Because I knew what territory he was speaking of when he said everywhere the sole of my feet treads. I'm not interested in Jerusalem. I'm not interested in, you know, the northern territories. I'm interested in this hill country right here. And I'll tell you why in just a second to wrap up. Give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Anakim were there. Those are giants. They are the descendants, it says, in another place of the Nephilim. Who existed before the flood i don't know how that happened or what how that works but they were gigantic fearsome legendary people this would be like trying to take sparta you know that, that's what it would be like they're, they're so legendary their their strength and their heroism they're there with their great fortified cities now here's the kind of faith that he had perhaps the lord will be with me perhaps the Lord will be with me. I'm going to go up and fight a tribe of people whose average height's nine feet, and maybe God will show up. Would you sign up? Would you go with him? Look at me. Would you do it? I mean, that, that's how much faith he had in God. This land is so important to my destiny and, he, I believe, to the destiny of my people that I'll go even on a perhaps. He's not doing, you know, like make the fleece dry and, you know, the ground wet and make the fleece wet and the ground dry. He's not doing that. He's going, I know that I'm supposed to go. God promised it to me. So, man, I sure hope he shows up when I get there because we're hopelessly outnumbered and they're huge. And I'm 85. I mean, I might still have my strength, but I'm still 85. So he goes, and and Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. And therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, until this day. Meaning the day when Joshua was written, for he followed the Lord his God fully and then it goes on and it says what the name of it used to be, Karath Arba. Arba was a, a giant, uh, a warrior hero. And then the land had rest from war, all the other tribes were contending for their territory. But not until Caleb took those mountains, drove away the ancestors of the Gathites, where Goliath was from, drove them out of that part of the land. Did they have rest? Now you know that because the giants came back again, Israel didn't have rest. During all those years, Goliath and the Philistines and all the others would come in, raid the land, and leave. They didn't have rest during that time. Why did they have rest? Because fa- Caleb was faithful to do his portion, to take his portion of the land and say, I'm going to occupy this place. He was faithful. The land had rest from war. This is the word of the Lord for many of you. You've been faithful to help others take their calling and take their territory. But now the Lord says it's time for you to take your own. There, there are many, I know, I'm feeling it now again. There's so many among us who have devoted your lives to helping other people come into the fullness of God in their lives. And you'll continue to do that. Because you're called to ministry. You are called to build up. You're called to equip Some, some of this fivefold ministry among us, even in this room right now, that, that one day you'll pastor, you'll teach, you'll prophesy, you'll, you'll be in office to build up the body. You're going to continue to do that. But I felt that so strong from the Lord, and I'm feeling it again right now, that this is the time of your life where you get to take your own territory now and a place to call your own, a place to call home, a place where your spirit knows when I do this it's like what uh, what was that runner's name that Taya just did the paper on Lindell, Lindell. Eric L- Eric Liddell the Scotsman the flying Scotsman he he used to he told uh, people that you know when I run I feel his pleasure he was called to be a missionary to China but he said Man, when I run and he had this crazy running threw his head back and he ran like this which is terrible form I'm not even a runner and I know that but he just, he glorified God and he won a race that he didn't even train for because his race was on the Sabbath, but anyway, or Sunday rather. Um, He felt, I glorify God. What do you do? Where where are you? What do you experience that makes you know when I do this, I'm glorifying God because it's your time to start doing that. It's your time. You've been faithful to help others. Now it's time for you to focus on you. Not to where you're saying, okay, everybody, see ya because it never worked that way in the promised land. It's just that you being faithful with that, you going for it, you saying I'm gonna devote myself to this and I'm gonna occupy it and I'm gonna be awesome at it. When I was a children's pastor, which was not something I ever really had in mind, always loved kids and always wanted to pastor, but a children's pastor was not a thing that I ever really aspired to. So I'm at Christ Community Church and they set me in. I sat in the office the first day and I was terrified. Never felt so unqualified for something in all my life. And I'm seeing all, you know, the numbers. I mean, it was a a huge church and and all this. And I I said, oh, my goodness, I don't know what to do. And something leapt up on the inside of me. and said, you're going to be the best children's pastor in America. I said, all right. Not in a competitive way. But I'm going to be the best me at what I've got in front of me right now as I could be. And I threw myself into it. I started reading books. I started going to trainings. I started seeking the Lord and ministering. And things came alive. And I was having a blast doing it. Because I gave myself completely to it. If this is the territory that God's given right now, I'm going to take it and occupy the fullest extent of it. What's your territory? And how will you occupy it coming into this new year? Because here's what was at stake for Caleb. He didn't know any of this yet. He might have known a little bit of the history of the territory. Who knows? Moses wrote the book of Genesis to put the Israelites back in touch with their heritage and their story because they'd lost it. These stories weren't told often enough, so he gathered them all together. That's where the book of Genesis comes from. Hebron was an incredibly significant location. It's south of Jerusalem. It's the home of all the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all their wives are buried there. That is the place where Abram, when he came into the promised land, Lot and he had their parting. Lot took the east side of the Jordan where Sodom and Gomorrah ended up and and that's where he stayed. And when Abram chose the left side, the west side of the river, he settled in Hebron. He sanctified that place with his presence. He went out from there to rescue Lot when he needed it. And all the patriarchs, this is where Jacob was living when Joseph was sent to go check on his brothers and they sold him into slavery down in Egypt. That's where Jacob was living at the time, Hebron was a really significant place. It was like the homestead of the patriarchs. There's something to that, we lo- we've lost that in America right now, we've lost that whole concept of a homestead. We move so much, we move more than any people in all history, we move and we move and move. But some of you have one and you know what it's like to go back home, you know? You get back in the environment, the smells, the sights, the, the sounds of it. There's something about having a place to call home that just means something. Well, that's what Hebron was, homestead for the patriarchs. J- uh, Hebron became the city of refuge given to Judah. So this was the place where if you accidentally killed somebody, you could run and hide in this city and you could not be avenged. You were safe in the city. It became a type and shadow of Jesus and the cross, but I'm gonna be careful not to dive in on that now because it's so fascinating. A city of refuge, which meant there were priests in there they lived in that city. That city was consecrated by Levites. They were making sacrifices. They were teaching the people how to walk with God. spiritually strong place. It was literally built up as a righteous stronghold. Hebrew became that. And so it would be no surprise that when uh, David was going to be king, that he asked the Lord, finally, Saul was dead. And he didn't go to Gilgal. He didn't go to the other places where other kings went. He inquired of the Lord. He said, Lord, where should I go? Where should I go? Should I go to one of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said, yeah, go to Hebron go to Hebron. Of all the places and all the promised land, he's going to go to Hebron. That place Caleb said, that's my mountain. I don't understand why but it's got to become a stronghold for righteousness. It's got to become a place where we hold that territory because some important things are going to be happening here and I don't know what they are yet. I just know that right now in my day I've got to be faithful. You don't know. We don't know what's going to happen next. We don't know what lies down the road, generations down the road. We don't know what's going to happen But we do know whatever it is that God's got, if it's got purpose in it, it's got destiny in it, it's important. It's important. What you do is important. Everything you do with your life, it's important. In this case, David went, why, Hebron, why would I go to Hebron? I mean, the people were always nice to be. So David went there. David brought up his men, all of his mighty men with him. And they lived in the cities of Hebron. And then the men of Judah came, and they anointed David king over the house of Judah there at Hebron. David was first anointed king at Hebron. It was a righteous stronghold. Judah was the tribe. Everybody knew the king, the Messiah, is going to come from that tribe. The scepter will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. That's that's the oldest prophecy they had. And they always knew we are the royal tribe. We're the royal family. And here's Hebron consecrated by Caleb. And that's where David will first be anointed king. Then there's a seven year war and Israel's fighting, you know, they were divided. And then it says after the war was over seven years later, all the tribes of Israel came to David where not at Jerusalem. They didn't take that yet at Hebron. They came to Hebron. They came to that place that Caleb said, give me my mountains. Give me my countryside because I'm going to consecrate it. This is going to become a place where amazing things happen. They came to David at Hebron and said, we're bone of your bone. Saul used to go out, You'll, but we know that you're going to be the shepherd of, of God's people. So the elders of Israel came to David at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them before the Lord, and there they anointed David king over Israel at Hebron. That place that, man, nobody, all all they knew was that's a stronghold of giants. It's like a hornet's nest. Don't go there. Caleb said, no, I'm going to take it. And it became that place. How important was David's throne? How important was David's throne? So important that when the angel came and announced to a woman who had no idea what was about to hit her, the angel said, Gabriel said, he will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him what? The throne of his father, David. David's throne was established in the very place where Caleb said, I'm gonna take that territory and I'm gonna hold it, and it's gonna become a righteous stronghold, provided a landing place for the Son of God himself. The throne of his father, David. It wasn't the throne of God in the earth. He specifically said, I'm gonna give him the throne of David. It all happened to Hebron. So, where's your mountain? What is that thing that is in you that you know I've got to do this thing? If you need some counsel and prayer, you need to seek the Lord and you need some help discerning it, I'm happy to meet with you and help you really get crap and meeting with all of you who got prophecies and been really enjoying going through your words with you to help hone in on what was I born to do. The younger you do it, the better. Don't be that 50-something-year-old having a midlife crisis going, man, I've lived all these years and I never once did anything that meant anything eternal. I made some money, made some friends, I did some fun things. But man, I never once did anything that would last generations. Certainly haven't done anything with my life that would be where Jesus would come and set up his kingdom in the earth. This would be a really good time of life to know, and I really feel such a grace of God. Would you all stand to your feet? I want to bless you before we go out and do it. I pray right now for each and every one here in this room, watching on the live stream, that you will know beyond knowing that the inner man on the inside of you will come alive to destiny, will come alive to something that you know that you must do. Whether there be giants occupying that place, enemies that would stand in the way, difficulties, obstacles, whatever looks like it might prevent you from coming to that place. May they appear as grasshoppers in your sight in comparison to the excellency of glorifying the Lord, of being part of the glory of the Lord covering the earth. May the peace of God give you an overwhelming sense of, yes, I can. Yes, I can take that mountain. Yes, I can. And yes, uh, and then another spirit coming in you that says, yes, I must take that mountain. I must occupy the ministry. I must occupy the career. I must occupy the relationships, the neighborhood. I must occupy that place that I know God has given me. I pray the must will come to you in a grace-filled way that feels a lot more like being excited. Uh, I, I just got this picture. When we say must, it can sound like drudgery. Oh, man, I got to go out. Ah, it's you know, 4 a.m. I got go to go work. Or you, you're, you're the must of put me in, coach. I can't wait to get in the game right now. Would you please put me in? I must play the game right now. May that must be your portion this year. In Jesus' name, go out with joy, be led forth in peace. May every mountain and hill break forth into singing before you. and All the trees of the field clap their hands. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. I love you guys. Happy Happy New Year. I'll see you around the plan.